pain has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News & World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. How often have you said to yourself, this pain will never go away, or life as I knew it is over? These thoughts are common for those who live with pain. Patients have streams of negative thoughts about themselves, the world, or the future. And this is understandable because pain can change your mood, relationships, and your identity. What you may be surprised to know is that these persistent negative beliefs and images can both maintain and amplify the pain experience. Imaging studies of the brain, called functional MRI imaging, suggest just that. But what can we do about it? Cognitive behavioral therapy, that is CBT, can help, and much more than you might think. CBT gives us the tools to reshape our thinking, develop realistic alternatives, and change how we perceive pain. Our guest today will give you a fresh perspective on how much you can benefit from CBT. Leslie Coggan lost her job, husband, and friends after an injury led to a condition known as complex regional pain syndrome. CBT made her face some hard truths about the pain, but it also re-engaged her in life that she had lost and made her feel better. Then Dr. Dan DeLays, pain psychologist and director of the DeLays Pain and Rehabilitation Institute, joins us. He'll describe the techniques used in CBT, some of the research supporting it, and how it can make a meaningful difference in our lives. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium Laboratories, My Life Patient Program, and DC2 Healthcare, and The Pain Community. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. Leslie Coggan has a condition known as complex regional pain syndrome. It's a disorder of the nervous system causing burning, swelling, and extreme sensitivity to touch. Let's hear her story. Leslie, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. First, tell us about how you developed complex regional pain syndrome. I was working at the time, and they were carpeting the office, Mm -hmm. and they had stacked desks in the hallway, and I was trying to get back to my office and tried to move past the desk, and somehow or another they shifted, and when they shifted, the top desk fell on my arm. Mm as well as the materials that were on the desk. Wow. And I know this happened about 16 years ago, and you began to experience sharp uh, burning pain. Oh, the pain was unimaginable. And it kept getting worse. And after seven days, I went to see an orthopedist, Mm -hmm. and they splinted me. Okay. They thought it might be a fracture that that was not able to see it on the x-ray. And the pain just kept getting worse. There was more burning. And over time... 
it started creeping up my arm, mm. and then my fingers would go numb. Eventually, after three or four years, I was diagnosed with CRPS. Wow. I mean, did the pain continue to spread to other parts of your body? It spread across the back of my neck and down the other arm. Mm-hmm. I lost all the hair off my arms. My fingernails started curling under and became very weak and almost paper thin. Yeah. I couldn't wear long sleeves because it made the pain worse. Oh, and that was just another nightmare. Oh, it sounds terrible. You know, I, the water even hurt. Yes, I mean, I have patients just like you who have extreme skin sensitivity, like a sunburn. Uh, were you able to bathe? Uh, I started taking sponge baths very sparingly use water or sponge on my arm. Yeah, I mean, that's really, really tough. I have patients that have described the same thing to me. Leslie, what were you doing at the time that this occurred? I was a health and safety manager for the American Red Cross, and I was a national disaster worker. How did your medical condition affect your life, I mean, your work? The pain just kept getting worse, and I couldn't concentrate at work. My work suffered. I couldn't sleep at night because the pain was much worse at night than it was during the day. Yeah. My arms would go numb and I'd have problems driving. After a year, I couldn't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the toughest parts. I mean, it's losing your job, losing your self-identity. And then there's your family life. I was married at the time. And it deteriorated to the point where my husband divorced me. Wow, that's really sad. Was it because of your pain? Because I couldn't work anymore, mm-hmm. and I wasn't able to contribute to the family income, Yeah, and I needed to see doctors, and I would go and see doctors, and I was on heavy medication. I couldn't get out of the chair at home, and he said that he couldn't take it anymore. Wow. How did it affect your relationships with your friends? They didn't understand what the pain was, why I was having this pain, mm-hmm. and some even implied that I was faking it. Yeah. And after a certain time, they just quit coming around and calling. Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that, and I've had other patients say the same thing. How did that make you feel, though, when they told you that you were faking it? Oh, it was upsetting. It made me mad as, as a firecracker. Yeah, what it did. yeah. How dare they question my my honor, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was trying to convince the doctors as well. Yes, I mean, it's hard to convince both the doctors and your friends and family. Leslie, did you ever reach the point of feeling hopeless or helpless? Oh, definitely. Several times during the course of this disease. You know, it had ruined my life. Yeah. There was nothing to live for. Yeah. It was bad. I think I even contemplated suicide. That's awful. Did you attempt suicide? No. I'm glad it never came to that. How did the pain affect you emotionally? I didn't move. I didn't get up. I lost interest in doing things. I sat in front of a TV and slept all day. Wow. And when my husband left me, I was up by myself, and you know, all my family were in Alabama, and we were in North Carolina. Yeah. And so I didn't have any family support. Um, no church support, no friend support, nothing. Well, I mean, I, I don't know how you got through that. Before I ask you about uh, pain psychology or cognitive behavioral therapy, I want to know what kind of treatments you tried. And I know that uh, we talked about the fact that you tried certain medications like uh, Oxycontin and Oxycodone, morphine, for example, uh, Xanax, uh, Neurontin, and Topamax. Uh, were those helpful? At first. 
but, you know, the side effects were much worse than the relief I got from the medication. Well, I mean, had you did you try any nerve blocks? For example, uh, what's called a stellate ganglion block. This is a group of nerves which are part of the sympathetic nervous system located above the first rib. We performed this block to help ease the symptoms of complex regional pain syndrome. Yes, I did. Several. Were they helpful? At first, they were. And I'd get, you know, moderate relief for about a month or so. Mm -hmm. And then slowly the pain would start up again. So by the time the third and fourth month came, I was screaming and wanting that block again. Mm -hmm. I mean, how about the epidurals that you had in the neck? Were they effective? So-so. Well, we do the epidurals and we do those sympathetic blocks, those stellate ganglion blocks, primarily to help patients feel better so they can participate in physical therapy. And in fact, I know that you uh, finally did physical therapy about five years after the diagnosis of CRPS. And let me ask you about the spinal cord stimulator that was implanted, because that was implanted to help reduce pain in your arms, and it did reduce that pain for about five years, but then something happened. What? Well... I then was dealing with full-body CRPS, and the stimulator was only helping my upper body. We talked to the doctor, and he decided we should try the intrathecal pump. Okay, so you had an intrathecal pump implanted. This is a hockey puck-shaped device that contains medications, and in your case, Dilaudid, which is an opioid, and baclofen, which is a muscle relaxant. And these medications are delivered in small doses through a little tube called a catheter that runs from the pump all the way to the fluid-containing space that surrounds the spinal cord. How effective has the intrathecal pump been for you? It's allowed me to give up a lot of the oral medications oh, good. that I was on, uh-huh. which is great. Absolutely. I don't feel like I'm a prisoner to those oral meds anymore. Yeah, that's great to hear. I mean, on a percentage basis, about how much relief are you getting? 40 to 50. Well, that's a lot of relief. Let's switch gears now. Let's talk about cognitive behavioral therapy and what made you decide to give it a try. And for the purposes of review, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, or CBT, is the basis of pain psychology. It examines relationships between thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. And honestly, many of my patients resist going, and they'll say, well, Dr. Christo, it's not all in my head. Well, it's not all in your head, but your head still has a lot to do with it. (laughs) Right, right. Um, I decided to go for it because when I contracted CRPS, I was in my 30s. I saw my 40s slipping by me. I didn't want to be a slave to yeah. I wanted a natural life. Mm-hmm. I wanted the quality of life that I had back. I was sitting in a chair vegetating yeah. you know, or sleeping all day. I got my nights and my days mixed up. So why not try it? Agree. Why not? I mean, you wanted your life back. So you began cognitive behavioral therapy about five years after your diagnosis of complex regional pain syndrome. Correct. Now, tell us what the psychologist has done to help you. Every morning, I needed to come up with a positive statement. Mm -hmm. For example, the pain is not as bad as it was yesterday. Or today the sun is shining and I am feeling good. Was it hard to do that? Sometimes it was because the pain was so intense. But... You keep at it. Mm -hmm. You hone your skills. I have an inspiration wall now that does the same thing. It says, choose happiness. Embrace the journey. And I read it every morning, you know, when I wake up and every night before I go to bed. 
and it helps me to get moving when the pain is extreme. The other things we did was meditation, which was great. I learned to control my breathing. I learned to relax my body, to visualize the pain leaking out of my body and into the carpet, and meditation did wonders. Well, it sure does sound like it, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. Please join us for part two, when Leslie shares how her negative stream of thoughts were modified and reinterpreted positively by CBT, and how CBT not only reduced the pain of CRPS, but dramatically improved her quality of life. Leslie, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much. Don't go away, because Dr. Dan DeLay's pain psychologist is up next. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, a global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Visit TameThePain.com to learn about treatment options for chronic pain. Teva, a leading global pharmaceutical company committed to increasing access to high-quality health care by developing, producing, and marketing affordable generic medicines, as well as innovative and specialty pharmaceuticals. Millennium Health is a leading health solutions company that delivers accurate, timely, clinical, actionable information to inform the right treatment decisions for each patient at the right time. Millennium offers a comprehensive suite of services to better tailor patient care. More information is available at www.millenniumhealth.com. My Life Patient Program and DC2 Healthcare, connecting patients to top physicians in the United States, reaching the highest standard of patient care through research patient programs and gains in overall health. For more information, please visit mylifepatientproject.com and dc2healthcare.com. Dr. Dan DeLays is a pain psychologist. He's devoted his career to studying and treating patients with chronic pain since 1973. His most recent book, Understanding and Managing Chronic Pain, is available for patients and clinicians. Dr. DeLays, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. My patients first want to know how I can make the pain go away. Fortunately, there are many different treatments for pain that are helpful. When the pain persists, though, patients need a way to cope with it, and an effective strategy for doing so is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Give us an idea of what that is. There are two uh, approaches to understanding cognitive behavioral therapy. The first is that you're addressing the patient's thoughts. What we say to ourselves, how we think about things can either minimize or enhance the effect of it. So some patients will describe their pain as being horrible, terrible, I can't live with it, it's the worst thing ever in my life. And those kinds of loaded statements simply make the pain worse. Mm -hmm. Now, we don't try to get patients to convince themselves they don't have pain, but we do encourage them, well, I I can work with this pain. I I can do some things that will help to manage it. Uh, I can get along in spite of the pain. So we want to look at some maladaptive thoughts, some self-statements, and then give them some instructions on things that are more appropriate and more helpful. Yeah, because I think it's important to realize that chronic pain often leads to negative and unrealistic thoughts that fuel distress and maladaptive behavior, as you mentioned. Now, Dan, you mentioned a second approach. What's that? In the larger context, cognitive behavioral therapy sometimes refers to a total programmatic approach. 
And there are programs uh, around the country where people come into a program and they may stay uh, all day for several days or several weeks. Mm -hmm. And within that context, they get biofeedback, relaxation, the cognitive behavioral therapy, physical therapy. So sometimes when one talks about cognitive behavioral therapy, they're referring to a very broad, comprehensive approach to managing the pain. Mm-hmm. Great description. Now, I think that many would be surprised to realize that, that how we think, feel, and act are all interconnected, and that our thoughts determine our feelings and actions. That's correct, and the uh, neuroscience information has uh, reinforced that. So if you examine what's being done with imaging studies, you can see that different types of self statements and different types of thoughts can either enhance or reduce activities in the area of the brain that's associated with emotional responses and associated with uh, painful activity. Uh-huh. So negative thoughts can increase the areas called the pain matrix, and then individuals experience more pain, and more positive adaptive thoughts can help the areas of the pain be less active, and they can experience less unpleasantness or less pain. Mm -hmm. So this is one approach to helping to modulate or influence the severity of the pain and the impact on the patient. Yeah, and most people don't realize their own internal ability to control the pain. And because of that, what can ultimately happen? Sometimes the ways they cope with it aren't very adaptive. They may get into too much medicine. People will use illicit drugs. They use alcohol because they sort of have convinced themselves that they have to use something outside themselves in order to manage the pain that they don't have any resources with which uh, to deal with that. And the more extreme cases, they may submit to surgery and other things, believing that that's the only way that they can help themselves. Yeah, I mean, excellent points. I feel like, uh, you know, many, again, would be surprised to understand that negative thoughts or images or beliefs that uh, arise from having pain can maintain or worsen the pain experience. And it does so by, for example, causing musculoskeletal tension or arousal arousal of the autonomic nervous system, that is the sympathetic nervous system. And also, you know, these negative thoughts lead to changes in our mood, like causing anxiety or depression. I suspect a large portion of your audience uh, will be people who have children, will be parents or grandparents. Mm -hmm. And I suspect that many of them have had times when their kids have come home and and indicated that they have this enormous fear. Gee, Mom, I don't think I can do this. I'm afraid of this. I'm going to fail this test. And the first thing we do is we sit down with our kids and we try to be honest with them. We try to get them to speak in more positive terms and to have more confidence in their ability to do things. You're right. We absolutely do that. When we come back from the break, we're going to challenge Dr. Dolez with a scenario. You won't want to miss it. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by The Pain Community, a web-based nonprofit created by people living with pain. Check out paincommunity.org for information, references, advocacy tools, and a premium section to securely interact with other members in forums and chat rooms. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives. Reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. For cutting-edge treatments and resources, follow Dr. Paul Christo on Twitter or like Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo on Facebook. Welcome back. Dan, 
here's the scenario, an actual patient of mine. I had a 45-year-old patient uh, who was an insurance agent, married with kids, who had low back pain from a disc herniation, then worsening pain after surgery to correct it. He couldn't sit for more than 10 minutes, couldn't go to the gym anymore, uh, ride his bike with his kids, or enjoy any intimacy with his wife. Okay. He became disabled, lost a sense of self-worth, felt the kids didn't respect him anymore, and had no hope for the future. He became withdrawn, depressed, and pretty angry. And he'd say things to me like, I'm never going to get better, and there's nothing I can do to help myself. So broadly speaking, how would you use CBT to help make this patient feel better? Oftentimes, what it is that people think is causing the pain is going to be directly related to what they think they can do about it. Mm -hmm. So if they've been told, well, your nerves are damaged, they're going to be that way the rest of your life, and this is how it's going to be, then they, they don't think, well, what can I do to fix the damaged nerve? Right. It's permanent, I can't change it, it's like being paralyzed. Mm -hmm. Then I would go ahead and direct them and say, well, let's look at this a different way. Now, now maybe there are some things with the muscles that you could do with a little bit of therapy starting out slow, but also then I would look at why it is that they're thinking that they can't do anything. Right. You know, the depressed people, I don't have anything to live for. Well, let's take a look at what is your life. you got a wife. You've got children. Maybe you can't do all the things you used to do. You know, nobody can do what they did 20 years ago. <laughs> well, I assume that the injury worsens the situation. The injury accelerates that process. So you want to get the person, in a sense, to begin challenging those thoughts and being careful about using all-inclusives. Never ever, forever, always, that's where we back ourselves into the corner. Okay. Some people don't have, they've never had to deal with problems. Uh, they've never had to deal with the fact that they can't do things. And so in some cases, the depression is basically a grief response. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you almost approach it like uh, doing uh, some grief because the person has lost the life that they once had, right. and then trying to be honest about what's there. Okay, your nerve is damaged, but that's not the only thing contributing the pain. Part of what contributes to the pain is how you're reacting to the nerve damage rather than the nerve damage itself. True. Now, Dan, let's talk about the brain. What's happening in our brain from a neuropsychological perspective when we have chronic pain that leads to the negative thoughts? Some people have this dispositional optimism that keeps them going. Mm -hmm. And when you have that, the brain reacts differently to incoming signals. The Institute of Medicine put out a great report, 2011, indicating that some people may be psychologically very rigid, which when something happens to them, it's harder for them to adjust and adapt, uh -huh. and that's why getting to people very early on, even before they head into surgery or other procedures, and sometimes we only think about doing this type of therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, after everything else fails. Right. When people are first hurt, when they're first struggling, that's the time, even the physician, and they don't necessarily have to see a psychologist, but there, there are physicians who are very keen, they have a psychological sense, and they can help to keep some of these maladaptive thoughts and feelings from emerging. Right, you know, and I think part of that report also discussed that when pain is processed and interpreted in the brain, thoughts and images are activated in a portion of the brain called the somatosensory cortex, and certain emotions are formed in the 
the limbic system. As the pain experience continues, we develop continual images of ourselves as disabled, and then these thoughts make every pain signal a negative one. When these signals get to the brain, there's an area called the anterior cingulate, and this is the area of the brain that gets activated as part of the limbic system that controls our emotional responses. So when people start saying, I can't handle this, this pain is terrible, that part of the brain becomes more activated. Exactly. So thoughts really do matter. Dr. DeLays, thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you. There's a lot more ahead with both of our guests in part two of the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.